Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. The rule zero is just like, are we not having fun? Then forget the rules. The rules don't matter at that point. My name is Tim Woods. I am a game master. The dungeon master of my life. Timothy Woods turns towards you. This did not go exactly. <gasps> <gasps> the magic circle. Within this magic circle, these are the rules we've all agreed to follow. It's like playing a video game, but you're doing it not in front of a screen, but playing with your friends around a table. How you came to get paid several hundred dollars an hour. Who are the people who make this game? How can I be one of them? How can I like make this an important part of my life? I was getting hired for birthday parties. I was getting hired for special events. And I was like, okay, there's immediate demand. My mom has said stuff like, if you stop getting games. Like, <laughs> oh, what do you, you do? And at some point, I was just like, Mom, it's never going to stop. I believe the game. Whether I am up to the task or not, the game is up to the task. Mm -hmm. The game will create dramatic moments naturally and organically, and it's almost spooky. It makes me, like, believe in magic. You are the god of the universe mm -hmm. and the ultimate servant of everyone at the, the table. They say it's the most powerful but circumstantial mm -hmm. power. They voluntarily give you that power, and the moment you abuse it, you lose your players, they never come back. I am fascinated by the fact that the brain needs play the way the lungs need air. The link between play and learning is very close. Psychedelics really put me on the path of being like, I get one life, um, what am I gonna do with that? Welcome everybody, today we have a special guest. The dungeon master of my life, <laughs> Timothy Woods. What's good, man? Good to be here. Good to be here, guys. So this is a special episode filmed in the dungeon about the dungeon, mm -hmm. um, but also about you. I thought Absolutely. it might be interesting to chat about D&D, &D, how you came to get paid several hundred dollars an hour to play probably, is this like one of your favorite games? This is my favorite game. Okay. Yes. I mean, tabletop role-playing games are my favorite games. There are games in that genre that compete with D&D &D for my love, but D&D &D has been kind of what I got to build my career around, so I'm biased towards it for sure. Okay, nice. cool. So this is probably an annoying question, and I got asked it about oh, it. How do you describe D&D &D to someone who has maybe not played it before? Absolutely. I say that like D&D &D is an imagination-based game. And I love to tell people like you probably already played D&D &D when you were a kid and just didn't know like that it's the game of like I got you, I got you like mm -hmm. just making believe and then there is a structure of rules put around that make believe. And then there are ways to, you know, build within those rules and it revolves around dice rolls to determine whether you succeed or fail, so there's an element of randomness, but I always say it's like playing a video game, but you're doing it not in front of a screen, but playing with your friends around a table. And that adds that extra social layer that I think really draws people back, even as technology gets better and better with video games, and they do kind of slip into that D&D &D role. Um, people keep coming back to D&D &D because I think of that social element. So I actually describe it, I think, separately, similarly to <laughs> you without having known that's how you did it. I, you know, when kids play Superman and Batman and mm -hmm. Batman says, I punch you and kill you. 
how do you adjudicate how hard? Absolutely, that that's where the dice comes in. Mm -hmm. And so, what can you do? You can do, you can try anything in D and D. Yes, but unlike kids who will get into fights and scraps over mm -hmm. what happens, there is a resolution mechanism, exactly. and that so you don't run into the problem of I got you. No, I got you first. It's like the dice help you to kind of keep the story moving forward by adjudicating that. Story. And adults still fight after. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Absolutely, even with all the rules there to kind of like be like, okay, well, this happened in this order, so yeah. we can figure it out together. They still get in arguments over like that doesn't make sense or like you know what what's the and the answer is always what's the most fun that's the trickiest part is the rules are just there to support the fun so the the meta rule the rule zero is just like are we not having fun then forget the rules the rules mm -hmm. don't matter at that point the point is to have fun and uh, the rules are just there to kind of help structure that fun got it so you uh, you grew up playing this I assume as a kid yes definitely yeah. and how how did you go from somebody who was Playing this game, like I think a lot of people might have played video games growing up, to getting paid. Was that was there a position out there that you were aware existed, or did you carve this niche out? It's yourself? very it's very funny because I definitely knew I wanted to do something in the Dungeons and Dragons world, like to build a career in the. And I was like, do I work for the company that makes the game? Do I write adventures? And as long as I can remember playing the game, I was also like trying to like get into like who are the people who make this game? How can I be one of them? How can I like make this an important part of my life? Who and are the people who made the game? I, it's <laughs> Wizards of the Coast is the company that owns it right now, and the game was originally made by a game named a guy named. Gary Gygax with his friend uh, Dave Arneson and the, together they kind of made this game. They started TSR was their company and eventually they sold to uh, Wizards of the Coast and Wizards of the Coast, the people who make Magic the Gathering are also the people who now kind of create D&D. So for a long time I was like looking at the magazines Wizards of the Coast released and be like, oh, I'll write for them. And then it's like, no, I want to be a game designer within the company. And at some point I remember realizing the biggest missing piece in D&D becoming more popular was the game masters. We needed more game masters. We had plenty of people creating the game design. We had plenty of people creating like the adventures and stuff. And I'm just like, the, the reason this game is not more popular is because game masters are so hard to find. And I was working at a forbidden- So let's, let's pause here. Absolutely. Game, D&D, &D, we got that it's dice rolls, it's adjudicated. Mm -hmm. One thing that is different from most children playing games is that there is a special role that is almost, that is that is the god role. So describe mm -hmm. Game Master and how that fits into Absolutely. somebody who's never played before. The Game Master is kind of like a meeting point between a storyteller and a referee and mm -hmm. a judge, sort of. So they do have this sort of godlike master role within the game. Whatever they say goes. And I'm always fascinated by the fact that it's like you give them so much power and the only right thing to do with that power is to let your friends have more fun. Like, <laughs> enable fun. As soon as you start abusing that power, you lose players right. so quickly. <laughs> It's really this beautiful exploration of like, what is there that's good to do with power? You get all this power, you're just trying to make yeah. things better for you everyone. You are simultaneously a, you are the god of the universe mm -hmm. and the ultimate servant yeah. of, of everyone at that, the table. That's a really beautiful way to put it. I say it's the most powerful but circumstantial mm -hmm. power. Like people are letting, literally saying like, I'll imagine whatever you tell me to. I'm like, even a freaking king doesn't have the power to like, mm -hmm. I command you to imagine this. <laughs> they voluntarily give you that power and the moment you abuse it, 
you lose your players, they never come back, and you lose all your power as a game master. <laughs> I want to see where this road goes to it when the, when the DM, um, uh, DM revolts. Yeah. Absolutely, 100%. Players will just, and that's the thing is, it's it's either they, they start to push back against you in the game, or they just never come back. I say, like, every... Did you ever experience that, Tim? Did you ever have, like, that moment of, oh, shit, I did this wrong? Oh, uh, definitely, definitely. Early on, even in my professional games, like, I, there were times when I was like, oh, I'm too, like, um set in my, I'm too, like, no, what's supposed to happen is this. And if you don't do that, like, I'm going to get a little mad. And, like, <laughs> going into doing this professionally was a big way to kind of let go of that ego portion of it and to be like, I am truly the ultimate servant here. Whatever they want, it is my job not to be like, well, that's not what D&D is. It's my job to figure out, can I make D&D what these people are looking for? Every group has a different idea of what D&D is, and they're sure it's the right way. So my job is to show up and, like, subtly try to figure out. I say the most important part of my job is the insight check. I need to be able to look at this group and be like, what they want is this. And it's not my job to tell them what D&D is to me. It's to figure out what D&D is to them and then see if I can provide that. And sometimes I can't. Sometimes it's just too different. It's like, we want to kill each other in the game. And it's like, I can do that once. I can do that a couple <laughs> of times. But after a while, it'll be very hard for me to make that fun. And I know my limits well enough to kind of be like, I can't give you guys what you want. Uh, you know, maybe I'll stretch myself. Maybe I'll try. But... You, you are such a fantastic yes ander. When I'm playing, I'm going, oh, that can't, that's impossible. And you're just like, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> it's, it does work. So that we'll get back to how you got into it in just a moment. Uh, I'm diverging because you were on part of my take. Mm -hmm. You've played games with children. You've played with me, and I'm like, Tim, fucking hurt us. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> you know? absolutely. Um, absolutely. You know, well, you know what? Let's get let's do, let's continue with your story, and we'll come to that question later. So, how did you get into this? Absolutely, I was working uh, in my effort to kind of get into this industry. I started working at a comic book shop, Forbidden Planet, uh, on Union Square, and I was kind of like, you know, this will be great. I'll get some ground level experience of what is it like to just sell this game, and who are the people who buy D and D sets and stuff, and on average, once a day, I would run into somebody, sometimes multiple times, sometimes occasionally nobody, but like on average, one person per day who would come in and say, oh, d and I've always wanted to play that, but I never had a friend to teach me. Oh, well. Mm -hmm. And I literally watched these people give up before my eyes and nothing, I could sell them like the beginner box or something, but nothing, I, I could be like, oh, there's, you know, there's, there's gaming shops and uh, board game cafes and places you could go to. The D&D community is under the impression it's really easy to get into the game, and it's not. There's so many people being left out in the cold, or at least feeling like they are. And I started to realize, wait a minute, there's there's a supply and demand issue here. Uh, the first time I printed out business cards and handed them out to people, there was a mom who said, "Oh, I've been, you know, I'm looking for somebody who can run my son's birthday party. He really wants to play d and I'm like, well, it just so happened. <laughs> she said, "I've been looking for someone like you for months." Mm. At that point, I had had my business cards for two weeks, <laughs> and I had had the idea for maybe three months. So she had this idea longer than me mm. that D&D is something that you could professionally provide to people. And there's just been, I think in the fandom, we're like, oh yeah, D&D, like, I'm, I'm, uh, there's so many opportunities to play D&D, and everybody else outside the hobby is just like, how do I get into this? And mm. it's reaching out of the hobby to the people who are curious but don't know how to get in that I think has, has been the avenue that a lot of professional game masters have taken like myself were you aware of the existence of other professional game masters or was this 
When I started, no. Wow. So you you I thought I was absolutely the first person to do this ever. Uh Then what I discovered was back or in the early days, there were actually professional game masters, like kind of right at the beginning. And I was like, ooh, it's like the Jedi. Like we died (laughs) off and now I'm I'm come bringing us back. And then I quickly discovered, as soon as I started telling people I'm a professional game master, they were either like, wow, I've never heard of that. Or they immediately were like, my friend James does that. And I started hearing about people that now I follow in the industry who are like big big time uh, content creators or pr- just professional game masters. And I started to hear about these other people. And, you know, at first I was like, no, this was my idea. And then slowly I'm like, no, what I need to do is network with these people mm. because I keep meeting more and more professional game masters. But at the same time, I've never, ever lost business to yeah. another. Prof- like there is still so much demand. And this is an all ships rise with the tide type situation for certain. I think most industries are like that. And people have similar fears that you do of, oh, I have to keep my secret tight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So a couple things. I want to zoom out because I think our audience, while maybe not having played D&D, can or is interested in the fact that you, as far as you knew, created your job, your dream job, the first time it had ever been created as far as you knew. 100%. Were you afraid? Tell me about that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And can you tell me age as well? Uh, like- I, I was maybe 23. 23 or 24 when I was kind of formulating this idea. I'd had a background in education at this point and I had gone into classrooms and run D&D after school programs. So in a sense I'd already gotten paid to, to run D&D for people. Um, and so I already had that kind of context of like, well this is something that you, if you do it with kids at least people will, will pay you for that. And I was very scared. I was like, first of all, there was a lot of backlash in the hobby. Anytime I tried to advertise online, way more people wanted to tell me I was terrible or yeah. do going about this wrong or doing something that fundamentally couldn't work. They would literally like do the math for me. Like if, if you're doing this and doing this, it's never going to work <laughs> out. And I'm just like, mm, okay, I'm still going to try. And like, but uh, there was, there was not, I didn't have a lot of faith that this was going to pan out and th- that I would find the right audience necessarily. And it was a lot of like word of mouth and stuff that, that kind of like launched it initially. Um, I, I, I like to say in a context like this, um, I don't, it, a lot of people ask, how did I get into this? And it's like, well, a lot of like, believing in it. (laughs) Um, Without psychedelics, I probably would have never explored something like this ever. Uh, Psychedelics really put me on the path of being like, um, I get one life. Um, what am I going to do with that? Am I, you know, a time, time is the most precious resource. The the thinking that psychedelics got me into about how I want to pursue my life on a fundamental level is really, I think what, what allowed me to see the value in taking the risk of pursuing this career path and kind of feeling like um, it was worth, you know, whereas I I had um, things to fall back on, certainly, but I was also like, I'm not going to focus on those things. I'm going to focus on taking a gamble on this. And I don't think I would have done that without something really like kind of pushing me to look at life in a different way. Must have been dark <laughs> psychedelics <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i did an ayahuasca trip where i kind of <laughs> i went into like this sort of supernal place where i had the opportunity to kind of like build my life like the, wow. I, it's like like a physical structure and i could i could build it in a certain way and that was when all this like it was while doing that that suddenly i had the more mundane thought of 
oh, I could, I could teach lots of classes this way. I could teach after school and just do after school programs of D&D and stuff. Mm -hmm. And those thoughts were occurring while I was like moving these like orbs <laughs> and rods around. I'm like, I'm building something. And I, I like in many ways think that in that moment, I was like on some higher plane building the life that now I'm yeah. kind of just living now. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. Man. I didn't know that. You must have been afraid at some level of what, I mean, what was the biggest fear? Was it failure? Was it judgment? Was it? I, I can definitely say failure, judgment, and specifically the idea that I would pursue this dream, but in doing so, I would force other people to have to take care of me. Oh. That was a big fear of mine was, and it is, it is fear of failure and judgment ultimately, but the way that manifested was this fear of like, my, you know, I'm going to be trying to do something I love, but my family is going to like need to carry me this whole way. And, mm. and, you know, I'll keep trying to build something and trying to build something and it'll never be successful. And I might be happy with what I'm doing, but at the cost of other people's comfort and happiness. And I was very firm with myself that I would not keep pursuing this if I didn't find some sort of financial success relatively quickly. I was not very lenient with myself and like, I'll give it a, you know, however many years. I was like, nah, I give myself, if I'm not making money within a couple months, uh, I and I don't see the promise of yeah. the growth of this. And so in that sense, I, I didn't have a, necessarily a lot of faith, but I immediately was seeing results. I was getting hired for birthday parties. I was getting hired for special events. And I was like, okay, there's immediate demand for this. It happened so quickly that it was kind of easy, I say, to like for me to just kind of keep pursuing this. Got it. So there's so many things I want to ask about. You, I know at various points, have bumped into what is popular in some industries and I know is strong amongst all of the arts and certainly in D&D, &D, which is this belief that capitalism mm -hmm. or earning money is antithetical to the spirit of the thing, Absolutely. whether it's creating art, creating music, doing D&D. &D. Mm -hmm. Did you carry that yourself prior or have you mostly just experienced, I know that you've experienced that from other people who are just yes. like You're ruining everything. I was definitely, I was carrying it a certain amount, but it was also hard for me. And, and obviously like you're saying, people were, lots of people in the hobby were like, I would never charge yeah. money for it. And like, I, I definitely carried that a little bit. Like, is this the right, th is this, does this make a better thing than just mm -hmm. friends running the game for each other? And it was easy for me to see the answer was yes, yeah. because <laughs> I was mostly at that point early on providing D&D &D for kids. Like, you're never going to convince me that helping kids get into D&D &D is somehow hurting the hobby. That's like mm -hmm. bizarre and random. And then it was, I, I used to be very clear, like, listen, if your good friend is running D&D &D for you, don't hire me. You do not need me. Because frankly, I don't ever know that I can ever provide a better experience than someone who is a close friend or a loved one mm -hmm. providing that for you. I'm never going to know you that well, so I'm ne never going to know what makes a fun D&D game for you. So no matter how much experience I have, I'm always like, your friend is the best dungeon master for your group. But there were just so many people, whether it was kids at school or adult groups or just companies people who didn't feel like they had an avenue into the hobby, I'm 90% I'm of the time easily providing D&D &D for people who would not be getting into D&D &D otherwise. So I'm not taking anything away. I'm only providing more of what people already like about D&D. &D. And, and it, it, I came to very quickly realize the, the critics just didn't get that. They just yeah. didn't understand. They're like, so you're just, you're, there's the same amount of D&D &D happening in the world and you're just taking a mm -hmm. cut of it. It's like, no, 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 much more D&D 
D&D is happening in the world because I'm able to lean into this and dedicate more of my time, more of my experience into providing this for people. Yeah, and I mean, you I'm sure there's great home dungeon masters out there. Sure. You it's a craft, yeah. obviously, to you, and you hone it and work on it and have learned to yes end. And like, I would, I'm sure, I would push back against your romantic vision of the best dungeon master is your friend. Because I, 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 I mean, that sure. Most of you- uh, I consider myself lucky to have gotten to get paid to then acquire. I kind of knew going into this, I did not have the experience level to be like, I'm a truly great game master. Mm-hmm. I was a decent game master at the beginning of my career. Then I got to get paid for it. So I got to do more and more hours at this craft. And now I can say I have maybe 18,000 hours worth of experience wow. in just D&D 5th edition. <laughs> And like, I've, I've crunched the numbers a few times <laughs> oh and be like, I think it's this now. <laughs> and like, I can say those hours have made me a much better game master. And it's, it's the kind of thing where I believe uh, experience is really the way, like you can read books on like how to be good at this or that, uh, improv voices, whatever. But you really just got to just sit at the table mm-hmm. and run those games. And now I've run enough games where I'm like, yeah, I'm bringing a lot of experience to the table that I know I didn't have in the beginning. And even people who play D&D for years, it's kind of a hobby where it's like, oh, I love this game. It's my favorite. When I was a kid, I was like, I love this game. I- it's my favorite game. I play it maybe four times a year. <laughs> and it's <laughs> like, well, that the- recognizing that is part of why I'm like, oh, there is a job opportunity here, yeah. kind of. So many people who love this game don't get to play it as often as they want to. Yes, I love it. So let's, we can wrap this business portion up if you want to share your rates both for anybody that's interested in you and and if you're inspired uh, because one of the things that I was thinking about a lot of my friends due to the decisions that I have made mm-hmm. have done something similar to you or me which is like there's not this job they make this job mm-hmm. that is in many ways their dream job and uh, is something that I, their parents would have been like, this is a waste of time. I don't know how your parents felt about D&D. It's very interesting. My parents were very like, oh, like games are just addictions. And like, you know, people, the kids are getting way too into these. And is there a future in this? But my parents were both involved in technology when they were going to college together in the 70s. So like it was kind of like I, I, my dad talked to me about his dad's opinion of him going into computers mm-hmm. and being like, oh, I hope that uh. pans out for you. And it did. <laughs> so it's kind of like, aha. So uh, my parents are very intelligent people. I take their advice on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But I saw what D&D could become and I realized other people couldn't see that. Yeah. And that was no fault of their own, but this was an avenue I had to, pre- and even my professors, it was really cool to kind of be doing my uh, my dissertation and for them to be like, I guess games are kind of educational. I'm like, well, I'm doing the research and I'm telling you they are way more educational than even I thought. And it was re- really cool to just see like people willing to be open-minded about it, but not just kind of being like, I don't even get what video games really are. I'm like, well, they're the most popular media in the mm-hmm. world now. So I think we need to start realizing that this is actually, um, you know, an avenue for, for the future and maybe a, a tool for things that we don't even realize it can be a tool for you. Yeah. yeah. What I found a little uh, interesting was a few things you touched on there, which was like the industry being unsupportive of you carving out a monetization strategy within it while uh, some of your family members and people who knew less about it were more supportive than maybe of the biggest fans of D&D. Absolutely. Which is 
uh, strange. 100%. My family cares about me. They should have been the most like cautious. Mm -hmm. And instead, the backlash, and I'll be specific, the backlash was never from the company itself. I think there was always the understanding at Wizards of the Coast that they're like, okay, anybody getting paid to Dungeon Master is doing us more of a favor than we're doing them. Yeah. Yes, we made the game, and we could be like, that's our game. You can't get paid to run it. But I think they always, and are, they hopefully will continue to understand <laughs> that like they're getting way more from the popularization yeah. because yeah. game masters have always been the bottleneck preventing D&D from blowing up bigger than it really is. But it was always, it was the fans. Like I think it was people who played the game for decades and then were kind of like, you know, I, I, I love this game. I've poured blood, sweat, and tears into this. Maybe they have players that appreciated that. Maybe they didn't. But somewhere along the line, they're kind of like, who's this person kind of coming in and saying they're going to charge money? Like, And there is a certain sense of like, well, why didn't I think of doing that? I, I think there is, um, I think there was a, a backlash just because people in the hobby had a view of what the hobby was and that this was something that was beyond the scope of what they had viewed D&D as being. And it's the same people who are like, critical role's not real d Like, these things that are new D&D aren't the D&D that I grew up with. I'm like, yeah, because it's becoming much more popular than it's ever been before. We're going to see five times, ten times as many people playing D&D. And there is something scary, I think, about going from being the people in the hobby to being 10%, 5% of the mm. people in the hobby and mm. it being much bigger than the scope of what you thought it could be. Mm. Gotcha. Interesting. Um, you were, uh, this is a moment back, but I had, uh, I think your parents had the realization that I had today when I was thinking about talking to you, which is, there is this pattern of parents being born into a different world than their children Absolutely. are born Absolutely. And, you know, you spend the first several years telling your kid, don't put the fork in the socket. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. And you think you mm -hmm. know better than them. Absolutely. And I think it's probably true at increasing rates. The jobs and the opportunities that are going to be available to them don't exist in your life. And, yeah, just to go, you, your parents saw things that their grandparents didn't. You saw things that they didn't see, and the next generation is going to see farther than than you or I are. Absolutely, yeah. I think it is such a. It, once I saw the pattern, and it was easier because mm -hmm. I saw my parents in technology, and it was like, yeah, like they took a gamble, and now it is my turn to kind of take that gamble and to have to to have to push back when they mm -hmm. tell me like, okay, but if this, I, I <laughs> probably within the past even. Uh, Three, four, five years, my mom has said stuff like, you know, just w if you stop getting games, like, <laughs> oh, what do you, you do? And I'm just like, and I literally, I at some point I was just like, mom, it's never going to stop. Yeah. It, like, I am confident about like certain yeah. things. This is one thing I, it is only growing rapidly. And I just, uh, what my, my biggest fear is not games drying up. My biggest fear is like the wave crescendoing and me not being able to keep uh -huh. up with it more than anything. Um. So you've done, let's, we, God, there's, I'll say the things that I definitely want to touch on so we don't forget them. One is games. You did your dissertation on that. I want to talk about games generally. I want to talk about elements of story. Um, but you just mentioned the crescendo, which I think is worth yeah. touching on. Mm -hmm. So I found you by, I think, Googling Game Master, and you did a good job on SEO. Absolutely. Cool. I don't think there, was, to hear it. there wasn't as much competition, mm -hmm. but you were uh, Tim Woods Game Master. Mm -hmm. Um 
And for those who don't I, know. I have a tr kind of, it, there are many professional game masters out there. Most of them are not doing professional game mastering as their main gig. I'm one of the few people who that is just my full-time focus is mercenarily like providing D&D &D for whoever wants it, whoever <laughs> yeah. pays for it. And a lot of other people are like voice actors as their primary profession or something along those lines. And uh, there's very few people just zooming in and being like, I am like this boutique uh like kind of like of service that i'm providing yeah 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 um so we so i anyway found you i don't have to tell the whole story but thought i recognized you realized we'd met 13 years <laughs> that's earlier right yeah at, absolutely you know we had a common friend mm -hmm, yeah um so we we got in touch and, and started doing what we're doing um but this wave that is happening mm -hmm. you're on part in my take yes i just went through you have the most viewed episode that I could find in the most recent, I went back months. Um, you're already in the top echelon of their, of their episodes and it's five days old and yours have continued and it's twice as long as a normal episode. Bar, mm. It's a Barstool podcast a bar with podcast. that they talk about sports the whole time, right? And yeah. the podcast you came on and yeah. We're the dungeon master for a rowdy group of eight dudes. Beer Absolutely. Sports watching dudes who mm -hmm. have never who've never even th probably thought about playing Dungeons and Dragons. And didn't have a particular interest in yeah. being like, let's really play D D. Yeah. They're like, let's have fun playing, you know, this kind of goofy game. And I'm like, yeah, it is a goofy game. Like, yeah, they, they brought in the right person. <laughs> <laughs> I think they did. Yeah. I think they could have gotten other dungeon masters and been like, if if I would have years his ago, I would have taken it too seriously and been like, this isn't the game, guys. And they're like, I think God, Hank's working with the goblin. I'm like, he's definitely not. <laughs> but you know what? Maybe he is. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. They dressed up in banana suits. Yeah. Like one was a gorilla. Another person was a vampire. They like, there was copious <laughs> amounts really of alcohol. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so tell me, how do you see D&D &D expanding? To whom do you see it expanding? So we, we've already got our early adopters are in yes. and they're, you know, I would say I'm the fast follower, which sure. is like grew up on video games, spends a lot of time online, you know, mm -hmm. but like, is there cross sections of the society that you think it'll continue to explain? Like, are we going to get sports guys? Oh playing yeah. This? Oh yeah. Okay. Sports guys are one of the easier, like the, I would almost classify them as fast followers because I didn't think that going into the part in my take barstool podcast, I was like, these are like, this is going to sound like, and I'm an alien to these guys. And it was sometime working with them that I started to realize like, holy shit, fantasy football really is just Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, yeah. And the way you follow sports is, n it makes complete sense that people who follow sports are also into video games. Like that is actually a huge overlap mm -hmm. as well. Um, and it, it increasingly so. And anyone who's into video games and by, you know, sports as well, um, is interested inherently in this strategic aspect of the game, the decision-making, the teamwork or lack thereof. Um, these elements are not actually as foreign to people who are into sports as I thought. Uh, another big one is like, uh, you know, during the 70s and 80s, it was like, well, only guys play D&D &D, uh, or only mm. certain guys play D&D. &D, and that completely that model of like who is your typical D&D &D player has really blown up. There's like um, just the demographics have, have been radically changing, just exponentially growing in all kinds of different directions. Mm -hmm. And it, it has helped me realize what people find appealing about D&D. &D. When I have run games for primarily 
female groups, like I, I, I'm realizing, oh, there's a whole aspect of this game that they're almost appreciating that I don't know if yeah, I really. Tell me about that. What are the male-female differences? Absolutely. I think, uh, especially because I also work with younger students where I, I notice like they're, they're just kind of more open and stuff about like, I want to do this. So I have one, my Sunday group is uh, two young boys and two young girls. And the boys are all like making strategic decisions and stuff and being like, oh, we got to do this. And they're almost like meta and analyzing the story, kind of being like, oh, like we have to get these five uh, basically like infinity stones and like probably two of them will be easy to get and two of them will be really hard yeah, to get. Yeah. And they're like following the structure of the story. The girls were like, hold on, like, we're both, they're, first of all, telling me a lot of the story. They're making it up, like, oh, we're the princesses of these kingdoms, and actually, my kingdom doesn't like her kingdom. And I'm like, ooh, ooh, this is very dramatic. Like, this is giving me a lot of material to work with. And they're just like, and actually, like, our, um, you know, our family, like, our dad runs both kingdoms. And it, within the story, there was, like, supposed to be an even elven prince. And I'm like, well, also, maybe you guys have a brother. And they're like, sure, fine, we have a brother. And I'm like, and guess what? The evil knight takes his helmet off and it's your brother and they lost their shit they're like why did our brother do this oh my god what is and they were like do i want to do a redemption arc but also the redemption arc involves slapping him a lot and telling him he's a piece of shit and i'm just like this is great i love this and they're like asking like why did you do it and the boys are like i don't care why you did it and they're like no tell us why you did it and he's Got like it. i did it for love and they're like, oh! and like so they, there was just this whole dramatic element to the story that they really that that's where they fed off of it. And as soon as it gets into combat of just like, I shoot my bow, it's kind of like, all right, let me know when we get back into the cool storytelling. And I'm like, yeah, why can't it be more like that unless like another battle, roll initiative, everybody. And mm -hmm. I just kind of saw like um, different storytelling elements. And the best part was watching those come together where the boys would be like, I don't like what's happening. This is boring. Like, or this is not interesting to me. And then vice versa. Like, the, and they would compromise and they would, work with each other to kind of create the story that they wanted collectively and it was really cool to kind of see that happen that's awesome uh and funny that it's yeah, stereotypical. It <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I was like, Tim, don't say that, that the boys like things and the girls like people and emotions. Uh, oh, uh, I mean, not again. <laughs> and, and it's the kind of thing where it's just like, I, I'm like, I don't want to make any judgments. I look yeah. at the patterns that I've kind of seen and I find them fascinating because I do think that it, it by, by having different play styles, I've always believed that the game is enriched. Any game is enriched by kind of the conflict and then compromise between different play styles. And so to me, the perfect group is is a mix of uh, different play styles, whether that's from people having different genders or different backgrounds, whatever their different people are bringing to the table, it only makes the game better when there's like diversity at that table of, of different things mm. that people are bringing kind of. So uh, you've gotten a chance, and this is one of the things that we've talked about too, so often when you're playing, you are adapting to the table and you've yes. got different styles of game, you've got the part of my take game, you've got the, the young boys and girls game. Um, as we've sat here, one of the questions that we haven't gotten feedback on yet for our game is when you're putting it out to an audience, yes. we haven't had a chance to think about this. Have you, have you thought about the parts of D&D &D that really work and the parts that don't? I'm curious because, I mean, you know, we've discussed some, mm -hmm. but, but uh, also like and, and adaptations that you maybe have made going on to the game to make it more approachable to a wider audience of people. Because I know that depending on the version – 
it was like a math fest at different yes. periods of times and it was mm -hmm. totally inaccessible. So yeah, what do you the, think? The funny thing is there's still a lot of math. There's still mm -hmm. a lot of D&D is like, wow, wow, look at 70 points of damage mm -hmm. and like just kind of like crunching those numbers. What's nice is the current edition has streamlined those numbers. The numbers used to be obtuse and unnecessarily so. You're like checking charts and it's like, why am I checking charts? <laughs> like, and Whereas in this edition, there is still that strategic mathematical numerical element but it is uh, easier, I think, for, for more and more people to kind of access. Um, I, while working on this project with you guys, it has really gotten me thinking of like, no, but for, if you're not playing the game, what's exciting to watch? Mm -hmm. And that's a whole nother thing. And that has mm -hmm. really rippled out into all of my games at this point, because there is, I think, this element of, um, I can get away with a lot when I'm running the game, because when people are, it, when there's no audience and it's just people playing the game, a certain amount of that enjoyment is the strategic part. It is okay for that game to be not dramatic in a story sense mm -hmm. because a lot of people who want to get into the game are just excited to be like, my job is to shoot people and deal a lot of damage. Your job is to soak up the yeah. hits. And there, there are dramatic moments and fun that emerges just from playing the game and not even narrating anything, kind mm -hmm. of. Um, but at the same time, I've also kind of been like, huh, maybe we can have both. Maybe I can insert some back background drama and exciting moments into the story that do kind of uh, function as, as more things that would resonate with an audience kind mm. of. Um, but I, I think it's different making a show because when I'm, when I'm running the game, there's a lot more instances when I can just sit back and let them kind of create the story together um, and uh, uh, then see what that looks like. And there are plenty of groups I run where they don't role play at all. They just don't role play. They just kind of like play the game and occasionally like joke about, well, my character would do this, my character would do that. But they're really just like, all right, let's, let's, let's figure out what spells we're going to do in cast. And those would not be entertaining for people to watch, yeah. but they're still very fun for people to play. Got it. Got it. So yes, you're, you're, you've always had the experience of pinging off of someone who's there and you can just follow them. So like, yes. you can I think it's a good opportunity for you to tell the train story yes. if you would like to. Absolutely. <laughs> of the different I also would like to just chime in. And so Go people ahead. aren't like too lost is that it seems like what's coming up is in the game. There's like two generalities of what you can do. You can do battle. Yes. Which is slow, like RPG turn-based style. Absolutely. And then there's role-playing which is in between the battle, you have to talk to the shopkeeper and persuade him. And that's just talking to your group and moving through the game. Mm -hmm. um, and that was the two difference between, it sounded like the boys. The boys mm -hmm. wanted to strategically work out battle. And then for role playing, you're saying all this dramatic stuff that's happening within the story usually happens in the role playing sense. I would say so. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, I think that clears up maybe some of the, yeah, mm -hmm. like you're with four people moving into a cave, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. There's a role-playing element. You come across a bear, you fight the bear, you go back to the role-playing. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. the, and then the two feed into each other where you're making decisions. Do we fight here or do we not? What are we going to do type stuff? Yeah. Yes. And this will perfectly set up the train story. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 100%. Yes. So I work with a lot of different students and a huge demographic of students that I work with are students who are, uh, have special learning needs or on the spectrum in some 
capacity. The learning that takes place with those kids is so exciting because it's like they learn the rules of D&D, like all the math in like an hour. I'm like, oh God, you know this better than I ever <laughs> will. And they're like, I figured out the best wizard. Yeah. And like, then they have a good idea. They uh, tell their friends, you have to do this idea because it's the right idea. And they're right. Mathematically, they've yeah. crunched it and like they know what we should really be doing is this. And then their friends don't want to do it. They're just like, I want to do this instead. And it's, and then they look at me and they're like, Tim, you know, I'm right. We should be doing this. Make him do that. And I'm like, <laughs> if only life were that easy. Right. Yeah. So how do we handle this now? And like, that is the social learning that then takes place with those students. And I had uh, probably teaching the, one of the youngest classes I've ever taught was like a group of third graders. And you know, they were really excited to play. There was a lot of energy bouncing around at the table. And there was one kid who was really quiet and he uh, just kept uh, hanging back. And as they went into the cave to fight the goblins, he's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm not going in. I, <laughs> I looked for a train and I'm like, Hey, but uh, and I'm not going to say, N trains don't exist you it, the medieval like, fantasy yeah. absolutely it's like <laughs> he hasn't spoken up don't exist so what i said was well on some worlds of dungeon dragons there are trains that's true first of all <laughs> and then and so we're, we're getting there i'm like nah, this is not one of those worlds but if you were to build a train you'd be the building the first train and he's like no that's perfect i want to bit he's telling me he, i want to build a train and i'm like okay then you're building you're inventing trains you're not building a train you are inventing the first train and um, uh, he, I kept trying to like be like, and, and maybe if you build a train, you can r drive it into the cave to <laughs> fight these goblins with your teammates. And he did something I've never seen a kid do so effectively at that age. He turned to me and he said very clearly, my plan is to build a train. And when I finish that train, I am going to retire. <laughs> you don't want to do anything else. Done. And immediately, because I've had kids... Uh Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. A group, uh, groups of kids be like, uh, oh, it's clear you're supposed to go this way. I go into the woods and I start t finding a wolf. I want to tame a pet wolf. And I know like, okay, that's what we want to do. Then what's the first problem. Well, we don't see any wolves, so we got to find a wolf. And then once we find a wolf, what's the next problem? Well, this wolf doesn't like you. How do you make the wolf like you? And then the wolf is still a wild animal you're trying to bring into town. Okay, you got to tame this wolf. So the idea with kids is I never try to tell them this is the story you're supposed to be doing. Very often they play enough video games that even at a young age that they get that. And they're like, well, I want to break, I want to bend this yeah. game. Uh, that's And that's the whole point of D&D. So I try to figure out what's the challenge, how do I make it a dice roll within the game of Dungeons and & Dragons? And so with with the student whose character was named Train, the halfling <laughs> rogue, uh, should have seen it coming. I go, okay, so what's the first step of building a train? And I ask that mainly because I'm like, well, I'm not going to, I know what I think it is, but I also you don't know, know. this kid <laughs> knows, knows more about trains than I ever will. So I'm like, what's the first step? And he's like, mm, and he wasn't really sure. I'm like, well, 
you need metal, right? You don't have metal right now and you need to get some if you're gonna build a train. Am I wrong? And he's like, no, 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 I definitely need metal first. <laughs> I'm like, cool, guess what? Inside this goblin <laughs> mine, I'll bet you can find some metal. And so as his friends went in clearing room after room, and he had been like, I know you want me to go in there. Tim, I know you're trying to get me in there. I don't wanna go in there, I wanna build a train. I'm like, well, you want to build a train, as your friends clear out these rooms, he would go in after them and start mining the walls. And it, like a lot, of, uh, a lot of games with kids are just like, suddenly it's Minecraft. And I'm like, fuck yeah, this, this one happened ah. for sure. Um, and uh, so he got to build his train. They defeated all the goblins. They rendezvoused at the end of the day, high-fived, and it was a great D&D session for everyone involved. They all loved it. He got to, he got he to build his train. He got to retired. do what he wanted to do with this sort of infinite playground. And I'm like, more power to you, dude. That's awesome. Awesome. You're making me realize that um, because I get when we play, one of the funny things that happens is I'll be like Tim, go harder on us, yeah, go harder yeah. on us, mm -hmm. because you play with these kids and Absolutely. you are you learn to be such an accommodating teacher of, mm -hmm, of their mm -hmm. experience, mm -hmm. um, which is awesome. And uh, I I see where that where that comes from. Where we'll be in a difficult situation, and like adults will be like, "Come on, can I try this?" Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the answer is like, "No, yeah, no. But yeah." <laughs> Well, what do we need for a train? Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Like, yeah. No, Tim, we're not Tim, a train. Tim reframes the question in a way that can be solved in a learning moment for a child, but for an adult, it's like... Exactly, I, yeah. I, I know I can't build a train in here. The, the biggest issue I sometimes run into is all my games bleed into each other yeah. some amount or another, and sometimes I will go hard on one group oh. because I went easy on another group the other day, and I'm like, oh, a bunch of these adults were kind of just like, no, oh, that battle was a little easier than we expect to be. I'm like, all right, I got to go rougher on them next time but instead of going rougher on them i go into an after school program i'm like ah there's gonna be 10 goblins this time when i run this adventure and the kids are like why is this happening to us i'm like hold on i'm going hard on the wrong group my bad and so it's always good to get the alert ahead of time like this is the you hard game yeah. you later <laughs> on today will be the easy game <laughs> like, so you did your dissertation on games yes um i'm sh you know you're a a doctor is that yes you are a doctor right. yeah. oh, I finished Dr. my Woods. PhD uh, master game doctor absolutely mm -hmm. master game doctor <laughs> I'm in good company GM DR mm -hmm. got yes, any other Dr. DM absolutely mm -hmm. so what were some of the interesting things that you came across in your research about how games play a role in psychological development or learning or what I found fascinating first of all was I truly believe D&D &D, um in some ways might be like the original game. Because if you think about it, we have ancient instances of like, uh, okay, the, like the first board game that we know of is Set, an ancient Egyptian game that had a very simple board to it and stuff, and it was just kind of like your classic board game, try to get from here to the end. And then obviously before then, we have simpler games. And, and you can go all the way back to imagining like ancient people being like, oh, but I can hit that that pine cone with an acorn mm -hmm. before you can or more times than you can. So like, we don't know what the most ancient games are, but for as long as there has been communication, you have to imagine that there have been people like, well, what if? Mm. And then once you're saying what if and asking people to just entertain the imaginary scenario that you're hypothesizing, that's fundamentally D&D at that point. I do think D&D is something truly ancient to humans because we do it as children, just fundamentally every kid 
kid is born and then starts being like, well, let's pretend this. And so I have no reason to think that this doesn't go back to the beginnings of human communication. And I'm fascinated by that sort of idea of like, this is something like it's shamanic on like, you know, around the campfire, people would tell stories and that in some sense, those stories involved interaction. And, and then, you know, where you think the threshold into D&D kind of that, that's like in the details as it were. Um, and so I was researching that and I started, you know, asking the question of like the function of games um, is entertainment. But like, what does that mean? We find them entertaining. And when you look at kids, kids play, if you go before games, you would just have the wider concept of play. And play, play is everything. Babies play primarily in order to learn. That is why they are playing. And primarily, babies learn from play. They don't learn from people telling them things because they can't, and so they are learning from experimenting with things. And play is this fundamental, like, not, it's not entertainment. Play is experimentation. And the more I kind of study, like, what is play? Play is something, it's, it's as important to humans as breathing. It, it, we need play. The, the human brain is an organ designed to play play and if you lose the opportunity to play you will create opportunities to play when people have boring jobs you start making games out of your job and stuff like I am fascinated by the fact that the brain needs play the way the lungs need air and so there's this, this idea like play is something so fundamental it's so important and the link between play and learning is very close. I, you could say like one is a symptom of the other almost. Play and learning are linked so closely going back to when we're babies, but also like doesn't change really. And then at some point, and this is my issue with the school system, is at some point you get told what learning really is, is not you taking things and like putting them in your mouth and figuring <laughs> out what happens there or like throwing them and figuring out what happens there. That's not learning. Learning is sitting in a row and having information thrown at you and you just ingest it. Mm -hmm. And there's no interaction there per se. It's just receiving. It's what we call the banking model of education. And um, the idea that play has at some point been divorced from learning and that it was almost intentionally done, and I would argue it's because of what I call the work-play dichotomy. We started trying to differentiate work and play to, in order to be like, well, uh, work is valuable, play is not. But beyond the value that we place on these two things, um, they're actually very similar. Mm. Work and play are not actually that different. You could argue work is just the kind of play that then you can get money from and because people place value on that kind of play. And so there is this idea of like learning is so fundamentally interwoven with play that once I started looking at how tabletop role-playing games come into that equation, and I argue that they are almost the purest form of play in some ways, suddenly, once I started realizing, like, what do, what do teachers always say they want in the classroom? What do students say they want in the classroom? The more I looked at what those requirements were, like what when people made these lists of what they want out of the classroom on both sides of the classroom, I'm like, oh my god, what you're describing is a tabletop role-playing mm. game. It, it promotes critical thinking. It doesn't promote one way of solving a problem, but rather invites a conversation about what are the multitude of ways to solve a, comp a particular problem. And like, um, I just started seeing that, like, you know, if you look at what makes a good dungeon master, 
you can almost start to see what makes a good teacher as well and how you could structure a classroom just using the ideals uh, that have naturally emerged from a tabletop role-playing game. Yes, you have this authority, and if you abuse it, you're dead in the water at that yeah. point. Like all these parallels just started organically emerging. And I went from being like, well, this will be a fun topic for me because my professors told me like, don't write about something you're not passionate about. You'll, you'll never, you know, finish this if you're writing something that you think is boring. Mm. So, and I told them like, I'm fascinated by games, but how can I, how can I make this academic? And the more I started researching that, I'm running back to them like, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was just writing something for me. And it turns out like the overlap between these games that I'm fascinated by and what we're all trying to do in the classroom is actually like, everyone listen, like yeah. how are we, how have we not been studying this? And I'm in the crowd of people who have studied like esports or a variety of other games where all of our dissertations are the same. It's like more research needs to be done on this. It's just like begging for people to pay attention to this new media that has become rapidly the most popular media yeah. uh, of games, like once again. And uh, I think it's a rebirth as opposed to like, people think of games and they think of video games and then they get this idea in their head that games are a new thing that all of a sudden all the kids are addicted to. It's like, no, games are games are as ancient as language, at least, if not more ancient. And this idea that um, uh, we haven't been using them to learn throughout history. I, I think games uh, um, as a form of play have primarily had the function of being education and then also are the most entertaining form of education, but yeah. education is actually their primary function, not the secondary function. So as you were talking, I was... Um Tell me if this lines up or not. It seems like you've got play, which can be this unstructured experimentation. I put it in my mouth. There's no need to do it with other people or even get along. There's this. It's it's totally unstructured. I yes. quit when I want. Games are have structure. Yes. You can't you can't really quit whenever you want. Mm -hmm. like the basketball game ends at the end of the game. Absolutely. You got to learn to operate within a set of rules. You can't run with the ball. Mm -hmm. You got to learn to dribble. And if you don't like that, like basketball's not the game Absolutely. It's the magic circle. Within this magic circle, these are the rules we've all agreed to follow. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that almost all games are a set of restrictions. They're just setting what you can't yeah. do really because we've all agreed we won't carry the ball. We've all agreed that we will do this or that and then try to get the ball in the hoop while still following all those rules which yeah. are ultimately really just limitations and and in each so so play is can be doesn't have to be entirely selfish mm -hmm. games become collaborative and then you get to work which is you know has traditionally been totally other focus it's mm -hmm. not about you mm -hmm. the rules are the entire point of it which is you clock in and clock out you do this repetitively until mm -hmm. you're done and it seems like if you can you know if you can move kids from play to games and move work as much as possible yeah. from work to the game mode mm -hmm. that you would have kids more engaged in education, which is the job of a kid, and hopefully adults more engaged with the thing that they create. Because, yeah, what sucks about work is that you have to. It's a, an incredibly narrow set of rules. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with you at, in some locations and your interests. You just do it because other people value it. Absolutely. And that's an important thing is like games are voluntary. That's mm -hmm. a big part of it. And then we kind of set up work as being like involuntary, but it's also like increasingly when people mm -hmm. have the opportunity to pursue the kind of work they want to do, that's kind of making it more like a game kind mm -hmm. of. And 
I argue that's kind of what, ideally, in a perfect world, that's what people's jobs should be, is kind of a, a thing that they are voluntarily participating in because it is meaningful to them. Mm. I, I dig it, yeah. And uh, I see... I see how people lose, and certainly I did, play. Yeah. And, it, and, and you lose, you know, the element that is most present in play is like, this is for me. And that yeah. persists through games and then is often lost in the way that so many people work. And in the way that I work is like, this is for the future. This mm -hmm. is for the something. This is for that. But it is not for the now. Absolutely. It is not, it is not I lose me. it in my career. I yeah, sometimes yeah. lose that sense of play. And that's that can be disastrous. Like, I need to kind of be having fun or else it's hard for other people to have fun. And I've noticed a novelty is an important part mm. of that fun, of that um, uh, 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 learning and, and excitement and passion that, that emerges. I have to keep things fresh, not because they need it from me. I could just run the same adventure for all these different groups and they would never be the wiser, except I get tired yeah. of it and I need to bring in new ideas just to keep it fresh for myself. That's interesting because, so what you might not know, so there are these pre-written campaigns, mm -hmm. so for people that don't play D&D, &D, that give a dungeon master structure of, okay, we're going to enter this thing, there's four rooms, I know what's going on in all like for rooms. Yeah. And you don't have to repair so it could become easier if you just ran pre Exactly. Campaign. And that's a big part of my business is kind of being like, all right, these three adventures, I don't need to look at those books. I know them by heart. Mm -hmm. And so I can, when I need to, just run those adventures without any yeah. prep, which is nice. But it also kind of gets like, oh, they're going in this room again. Soul sucking and, yeah. to some mm -hmm. degree. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, mm -hmm. you need, you would be better served emotionally and spiritually to do more work in preparation for a harder project than to simply play the Sunless Citadel Certainly. over and over exactly, and over Exactly right. And that's why it's so exciting to have the opportunity to do new projects like this or any yeah. other new projects. It's like, yes, this keeps it fresh for me, and that's absolutely what I need I feel is to get so excited much. about it. That's funny. Mm -hmm. Sorry to interrupt. I'm just thinking, like, I, I could make a charisma breakdown of a debonair handsome guy that gets girls and the audience would be fine with that for yeah. an extended period of time it is the most lucrative video but pieces of my soul fall off <laughs> every, every single time i can't mm -hmm. do it mm -hmm. and then i you know i probably spent too long doing that and i swing super hard to a project like this which is like this is for no one but me sure yeah. absolutely. i mean i do the same thing i'm like i'll never run the sunless citadel again and then it's like later on i'm like okay i can break it okay. out again and it becomes fresh again if i've walked away from it for a little while so yeah fascinating mm -hmm. um so what are the elements have you thought about this of a good game yeah Absolutely. They say there's three pillars of D&D. &D. We've mentioned two of them uh -huh. already. Role-playing and combat are two of the big pillars. And then exploration is the third pillar, mm -hmm. which is kind of in between the two. We highlighted, like, when you're going into a cave and looking around, there is this both role-playing and strategic choices. But there's also, that's almost where the Dungeon Master, I argue, shines the most, when it's like, can you emerge and see this elven kingdom and, like, describing those sorts of things. So I do think a good D&D &D session will have all three of those elements in some amount or another mm. um it's hard uh, because i don't think i've ever run a session that's like perfectly balanced i'm, I'm kind of like this session's a little more heavy on combat so i know next time maybe i want to try to do a session that's a little more heavy on role playing unless i know it's a group that doesn't really care about the role playing they just want kind of a combat every session kind of mm. and so i do think um the, the real answer to your question is what makes a good D, &D session your players will tell you that. It varies from group to group. There's no one answer to that. Um, 
each group likes something different out of D&D. And so finding the, the, the best way is not to listen to what I say the best D&D game is. It's ask your players what is the best the D&D, like in the games they've played with you, what have they enjoyed the most? And then just provide them with that. Don't don't try to lecture them like, well, I, Tim said a good D&D session was this, so if you don't appreciate it, then you don't know good D&D. It's more like reading the room and providing them something that's going to be kind of fun for them. Mm. You shared with me off camera um, that you also have done live action role playing, which is LARPing. LARPing. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I want to hear, I know some of it. I found it very interesting, mm -hmm. um, especially because we're talking about D and D and story and playing a character, but there's also playing a character. Yes, absolutely. 100%. Um, I, I've really have very little experience compared to a lot of hardcore LARPers out there. I just got into LARPing this year. I went to what I think is the best LARPing event in all of the United States. That's just my opinion. I'm obviously biased, but like there's an event uh, that happened in South Carolina this year, uh, in, in uh, last year in October uh, called Weekend Warrior. And it's a, an immersive LARP. You, you got to show up wearing your kit, as it is called, your costume. And everyone's got like foam weaponry and stuff. I was an archer. I had a blast. And it was really cool because I'm always the one telling the story. And there were people there kind of like I got there a little too early actually I got there while they were still setting up they're like you're not supposed to be here but it's cool we'll let you set up your tent and I got to kind of spy some of them going around to like literally bury shit in the woods oh. and like set up quests ahead of time. It was so cool. And like quests that I never saw the end of and I never really understood what was going on because it like, it's almost, it was a so, very like Westworld type thing. Where it's So like, how many people show up to a forest, a field, what is going on it here? Is, it is a, uh, a plantation that essentially you could like rent out for weddings and stuff and they rented it out. There's like a big building in the middle that was like the mead hall where we had meals and all the factions are like not supposed to do any fighting in the mead hall. But it's like, yeah, but bring your weapons just in case you get betrayed by the <laughs> It's like, fuck, anything can happen here. And uh, then each of the factions. <laughs> anything were, can happen, Four Charlie. factions. They each had their own camp. People are doing raids on each other's camp. I didn't even tell you guys this. There's a banner and and if you can steal the other side's banner and bring it back to your camp, like you really like it's the ladies like, love you. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You become a hero kind yeah. of. And I saw a lot of those kind of go down. I had to defend against like uh, some some raids, as it were. I met another so guy for, for the people who don't know uh, defending. It's not mono -e mono brawling. There are rules of engagement about yes. how like. You know, call it if if you get hit with the sword, you, mm -hmm. you put your arm behind your back, or if you get shot with an arrow, you get X amount of arrow shots before you are, you are timed out, type of a thing. Absolutely. When you get killed, you're supposed to sit down on the ground, put a hand on your head, and then there's mm -hmm. healers running around yep. who can bring you back into the fight after like 60 seconds. So, how immersive is this? Because I know live action role playing, you know, you hit your arm, you put it away. Mm -hmm. but like, yeah. Are you doing this 24 7? Is it 23-6? Absolutely. <laughs> they kind of, first of all, there's out-of-game areas where okay. you can, like, step away to when you need a break. Definitely. And, like, you can take out your phone in the bathroom or whatever. Uh, but I definitely... So like, you don't you don't have your phone on you? You have your phone, like, in... I had it in my bag, and I just didn't take it out, kind of. You're not supposed to take it out. You're not supposed to bring... Visually, everyone's immersed all the time. And that's part of the appeal is, like, even, like, they give you your own little, like, mug so that you don't have to carry a water bottle around. Like, so visually... <laughs> 
visually, it's completely immersive. But they're also like, they made an announcement in the beginning when they're doing kind of the safety talk. They're like, we know a lot of you just came here to wail on each other with foam weapons. And you hear like a whole cheer from this <laughs> section of guys just like, oh, let's go. Uh, and they, a lot of people were not role playing at all. They didn't have like character names and stuff, but they're also like, listen, if somebody comes up and wants to role play, don't like, just kind of like, Get, let people do their thing was kind of the, the rule of the day. So a lot of people did stay in character. I had a really fun experience where I, and it, it's very like um, easy going about it. If you, if you break character, no one really gets upset about it is, is sort of the point. So I have played this fun game with people where we would try to explain what our real world jobs were, huh. but through the lens of, so like I met this girl and she's like, I'm from the, uh, I guess the Firelands. And I'm like, Texas? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> was like, ah, cool, I guessed it right. And then there was this other guy who's like, so like, you know when the kingdom like wants to build a ballista, but they're like, they can't just build a hundred ballistas and hope they work. Somebody's got to test the ballistas. And I'm like, yo, dude, do you work for the military? He's like, yes, I'm a weapons <laughs> tester for the military. I'm like, That's fuck, crazy. yeah. And so it was really cool to like meet all these people and kind of like both get to know them in the beginning, the first day, like when you're getting there, people are introducing themselves by their, their names and then the, also their character names. And it's so some point after a few hours go by you just transition into only giving your character name at that point and so everyone has a character name and like uh you start to like let go of your old persona and there was something really cool about like i'm normally the game master and i got to play someone and i got to play them for like the duration of that weekend kind of and like really immerse myself in like who is this dude and i already kind of knew going in like i can't set up like this guy's the greatest hero of all because <laughs> when i when i miss with a bunch of arrows that's gonna look pretty stupid and i'm like i'm literally just my character was just like i just got recruited because my dad's <laughs> farm got burned down i'm like i'm level one guys like let's start my first year i'll be level one maybe i'll be level two for my my next game but like i um i, I it was it was very cool to kind of to kind of be immersing myself in that sort of thing yeah that's cool the uh it seems like one of the things as you talk that makes a fun game that i that i guess i would feel engaged by in that scenario is that there's some clear objectives mm -hmm. yes and then a seemingly a very large, if not infinite, way of, of solving that problem. Yes. So you can bribe someone to get the flag. Mm -hmm. You can, you know, capture, right. the, capture the flag is a narrow way. It, Absolutely. It's you gotta run faster than someone to get the mm -hmm. flag. Or you can, like, fake being out. But yes. You can send your women in. Yeah. <laughs> I, they literally use that strategy 100%. We have people just, like, hanging out, and it's like, oh, who's that? Like, I'll talk to her, and, like, yeah. she's a plant while <laughs> some other group comes in or something like that. Yeah, so it's, it's a... Structured goal, which is clear and valuable, mm -hmm. and then a wide way to solve it, which is actually maps the way that video games seem to be going with the open world. Yes. Which and the feeling that people want is multiple endings, mm -hmm. different paths, a world that responds to me yes. and reacts to me. It's uh and I guess one of the differences of that in life is that there's not a clear goal, which is what's so haunting about life. Absolutely. <laughs> that there's no flag. Absolutely, 100%. And, and the flag is almost there to be to provide for some people just that clear goal of like, yeah. well, if I, if I don't know what to do, I can go after the flag. There's also like a quest board where it's like, I need like this thing. And it's like, you can kind of do quests. There was a, an assassination mini game mm -hmm. where if you go around and like wrap a cloth around somebody's like, 
belt or their drink without them noticing, then you stab them in the back or uh, poison them uh, respectively. And it's kind of like, hey, you've just been assassinated. And it was a lot of like the leaders who were like the people getting kind of paid to to run the event would be like, they'd be I watched them like be having conversations and all of a sudden somebody's like, excuse me, and points to their guests and go, oh, uh, I die. And then they just get back up and continue their conversation. But they're like, you get credit for having assassinated one of the leaders of the Rangers. (laughs) One point to you. Uh, But like- you have those concrete elements, but then there's just the freedom to just like wander around in Rome and almost uh, some of the higher level things happening don't have clear ways to solve yeah. them. So what I really liked was my faction, the Rangers and the Kingsmen, who are like these big knights, were allies. And so uh, before we went to the Mead Hall the first night to meet the other factions, uh, we had this sort of gathering where the king of the kingdom of Oleron stepped up and the Rangers were like, we'll, at, we'll team up with you. But first you have to sign what our, was our equivalent of like the Magna Carta, like the, the list of the people's rights. So if you want the support of the Rangers, and we were like had been talking like they need our support, they'll lose if they don't get the Rangers on their side. So we presented them with this contract. The king like looked at it for five seconds. And he's like, I think this uh, is a fair contract and I will sign it right now in front of everyone. Like cheers went up. Awesome. Great. Like hurrah for the Rangers and the Kingsmen. We go to the Mead Hall. And then suddenly there's announcement, make way for the King of Throy. And all the rangers and kingsmen look at each other like, who's the King of Throy? Like, what is this new king? And we had kind of been told, like, the Sea Lords, like one of the other factions, they want to break off and make their own kingdom. And they're using the ancient name of their land, Throy, once again. And this guy comes walking in like, I'm the new King of Throy. And... All the like without being told, like our job is to now have our king make sure he stays the king. We got to defeat them so that they don't get to break off and become an independent kingdom. Like, but no one had told us that. So as we see the king of Thor coming in, we're just all looking at each other like this motherfucker. Like we got to get him, everybody. We can't allow this to stand. And we're like, I felt so immersed so rapidly. I'm like, I'm looking at this guy like. Oh, you son of a bitch. And he's looking like at all of us, like, what what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? And I'm just like, on the battlefield, we shall see, we shall see <laughs> what will happen. It was a very like Game of Thrones moment where it was just like, well, I can't, I wanna draw a sword and just tell him there is, a, and I, I whispered under my breath, like there is only one king of Oleron. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh shit, I hope he didn't hear me say that because I don't think I can beat this guy and his bodyguards in a fight. And if he heard me say that, is he gonna attack me? And then are the Rangers gonna get dragged in unwillingly into like, oh, it was just oh. so many things could have happened. And I actually felt too scared to do <laughs> what would have been like a really cool thing. I was like, no, no, no. I like, I'm not gonna start a war in the middle of the mead hall. <laughs> It was like such a, in, I've never felt such an intense moment of like, it didn't even feel like role playing. It felt like I had already been like, my name's Aldebaran and like, I'm a ranger. And then all of a sudden I'm like, and I'm mad. I like as Aldebaran, I'm like, oh, I didn't think this would happen so quickly. That's awesome. And okay, so that that can get me to the one of the, we can talk about as much as we want, mm-hmm. but story. This is one of the things, these are the magic moments in Dungeons and Dragons, it seems like where the party so you have as the dungeon master who you are imagining the big bad guy to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if through dice rolls and character decisions, somebody hurts one of the player's kids or in-game friends, etc., mm-hmm. there can be this moment where the players are like, no, no. that's the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And that is what feels so 
thrilling and expansive about D and D is that unlike video games, unlike which a video is like game. you are stuck on a path mm-hmm. and it's gonna it's gonna call mm-hmm. it's gonna create a story for you to you know hate this person hopefully, mm-hmm. but that moment of I've set my own goal. Yes. Yeah. And we're in uncharted territory and mm-hmm. the dungeon master is reacting to me as much as I'm reacting to him. Absolutely. Is is yeah, it's it's incredibly immersive in a way that I haven't felt in video games. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. There there the joke is always like the DM has like, you know, a mysterious figure in the corner waiting to give you a quest yeah. and they're like who else is here? It's like, well there's a goblin named Bob and it's like, "Bob's my man. Let's <laughs> yeah. go. I want to know everything about him. Like he's the main focus. I'm not doing anything else today. I'm just going to be hanging out with Bob. Does Bob have a quest?" It's like, "No, Bob didn't have a quest." <laughs> and like uh you you there there I I'm always on the side of the dungeon master. I'm always like, be compassionate. Like if your game, I, I'm always like the game master, communicate. If you feel like you're like, I'm out of my depth. Like I cannot keep, you know, improvising this. Could we please get onto the thing I prepared for us today? There is a certain amount of like compromise there, but at the same time, it's understood what makes D&D special is the video game designer, quote unquote, in this metaphor is in the room with you mm. and they can redesign the whole game on the spot. And the compassionate thing to do is to almost be like, wouldn't it be cool if like we made the adventure this and game master if you need 15 minutes to figure that out or maybe we pitch you some ideas and we compromise where we need to in order to get a story that we're both very excited about that's going to be very innovative that's sort of the appeal of this game most definitely yeah um i don't know between the two of us because you in talking to you now i see you are so reactive to your players and you think so much about the game i want to ask about story because that's where i go because i i am used to creating for an audience audience. yes and i am i i think it's you know healthy and unhealthy that i'm always thinking how will this experience be for someone who is not getting to play yes Um, absolutely and so i could share some of what i've learned but i'm curious what in in playing with us or even just thinking about it in the games that you've played prior to us what are the elements of the story that are critical um, as, as you're co-creating it with someone. It's tricky because I almost feel like, uh, you know, for a lot of it, I have been out of my depth in the sense mm. of like, as it becomes more and more like screenwriting, mm. that's where I feel less confident. Like, oh, I don't know if I can tell, yeah. but at the same time, my faith is always in the cooperation. And also I have always found that the most exciting stories emerge out of just like dice rolls going mm. in ways you didn't expect. And I'm just like, okay, whether or not I think I can write a good novel or screenplay, um, I believe the game, whether I am up to the task or not, the game is up to the task. Mm-hmm. The game will create dramatic moments naturally and organically, and it's almost spooky. It makes me like believe in magic like, <laughs> and in the power of the game. Or Whether or not it is like, oh, the game is doing magic, or whether it is that humans uh, attribute to uh, these moments, like, the, like, I can't believe I got a critical hit at this exact moment. It's like, well, it's always a 5% chance. <laughs> it's more likely than you think kind of thing, but at the same time, it, it is is like the coincidence and the fortune of these moments. That's what makes any story exciting for people. And uh, when it happens in a game in that moment when you didn't know it was going to happen, it's like you get to simultaneously be the screenwriter and also the audience member. And that's kind of an exciting element of... uh, um, and I feel like it's just been a lot of learning for me, kind of, as we've been kind of doing this together, is like Mm -hmm. uh, the important elements, I would say, are like... The characters, the relationships between the characters, and that those get clearly 
defined. Almost like when you're just playing, you can kind of just be like, well, we'll retcon and like we were friends. Like you can always mm-hmm. just kind of do stuff like that. And it's like almost just like, eh, however, make it make sense. And then we just declare, well, this is true. And like all of a sudden it all makes sense. But we didn't need to act that out. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think when it's for an audience, getting to see the relationship between the characters in real time is important. And, and it's a challenge, but it's helpful when you have people who are playing who are like, well, we know we need to kind of like figure out reasons for us to work mm. together and stuff. Um, cool. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts or anything you want to I want to know if you have any like horrible stories. Oh, <laughs> like of just stuff going well, absolutely. It doesn't have to be horrible. Uh, Can, like, I have a good example. Explosions. Train. I had a uh, really <laughs> fun example because this person, this was early in my career. I was just putting out advertisements on meetup.com. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I had, you know, I would put it ad- ad- ads out on meetup.com just anybody who wants to, they would get to come into my apartment. <laughs> anybody who wants to just come into my apartment, I'll run a D&D game for you. And I offered free games for the first, the first session was free. And you get some wild characters <laughs> showing up for a free D&D game. I had a guy show up with a bunch of other D&D players. Like, you know, I, I think it was my second session with the other players. So they at least, and they had played D&D before. So they were new to the game, but they were also kind of like getting into it and but had a an understanding of it. Mm-hmm. But a rando And then shows a rando up. showed up. Up. The rando shows up, <laughs> and I say, uh, "Oh, the troll rolled a uh, 18, so that hits your armor class." And he goes, "No, no, no, wait, 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 wait." And I'm like, "For for what? What? what, what okay, was there something you wanted?" And he's like, "No, no, no, I do this instead." And I'm just like, <laughs> "No, no, no, but 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 the but the but the the, the the troll rolled an 18, and so they hit you." And he's like, "No, but I block it." And I'm like, "Oh, oh no, like he's." Fi- I, I never thought of this. You can just say no. <laughs> like it's the opposite of improv. Like, I'll shut you down. It's like, and I started hysterically laughing kind of because I realized how conditional my power is. If someone doesn't agree to go along with what the game master says, the game just grinds to a halt. And you can just say, I refuse to accept what you are telling me, game master. And I'm like, he did it. He beat the game. Wow. I have no power here. If you don't subscribe to what I'm telling you is true, then, and he's just like, no, nah, no, nah, I, I got away from the troll and i'm just like fuck uh i guess he gets away from the troll and all the other players are like get him the fuck out of here yeah. tim this sucks because it, it's immediately just destroying the magic circle it's you know ruining it for everybody kind of but i'm also like man clever though never never no. thought of that no kid even got thought no of just being now. like yeah it's funny because that person i imagine is probably on the autism spectrum there was something going yeah Yeah. and and it's like man it's a shame that he didn't get in second first third grade to play with you and have the experience (laughs) of cooperation cooperation yes but and made it all the way to Mm -hmm. his adulthood with such a lack of what a game is why anybody would want to participate with you and it is now in a situation where like people are not going to walk you through it like they would a kid that was a real and it it was really tough because after you know I started bringing in the rest of the group yeah, on a regular basis as a professional. They would tell stories about like, that guy was an asshole. I'm like, yeah. he wasn't an asshole. He just did not get this idea of give and take. Mm. And so many of the kids that I work with, they roll the dice and they roll bad and they get angry at themselves. I'm a failure. I did something wrong. And then the most powerful thing is them seeing me being like, damn it. I really wanted you to roll well on that. If only, and they see I don't have the power over the dice. The dice just sometimes roll good, sometimes roll bad. And so they watch me also being like, ah, we got to rally somehow. Like, what are we going to do here? Well, you could try this. Or your teammates 
can help you here. Mm -hmm. And like they see me floundering around for a way to solve this problem that has been created by a bad dice roll. And they understand the story didn't end or they didn't ruin anything. Mm -hmm. The story moves forward from failure and failure is what we build on to tell an amazing story. And it is part of any good story fundamentally. And the, as they, the young kids especially kind of work with that, it's really exciting to see it's resilience. They're building resilience as they get used to rolling bad. Because their fear is like their friend. Sometimes their friend's like, sometimes they roll a one and their friend laughs at them. And that's like, I'm always like, no, come on, man. That is not helping right now. Like, I feel like I'm, you're building resilience for me in my gameplay. Uh, absolutely, uh, like Seven yes. episodes and I've got a lot of failure. <laughs> absolutely, 100%. And I mean, part of it is we built resilience in a season one and now in season two, I'm like, dog rev. Smash Bad right things happened to you last season and I'm going to drop some consequences on you and and learning part moments is, part of that is like i've played with you guys enough that i now feel more comfortable being like i know if i just say this like you'll be like fuck that sucks but you'll roll with it and yeah. build an even better story as a result and i mean part of it, part of it is like reading the room and being like you set up dog breath is like the comic relief i'm gonna kind of play off of that and build on that and then force you into situations where it's like more difficult to be that or more fun to be that like it, it's fun to kind of build on what we started wow family mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> absolutely beautiful um i think that's a great spot unless there's anything else that you want to i'm do. good i have yeah, to learn I'm about good. my LARPing. i love it you um we missed the answer to the question of your rates so let us know before we I, log off i mean people who are looking to hire me i typically do three hour games i charge 500 dollars for that it varies from event to event in the specifics of it but that's that's my typical rate yeah. yes mm -hmm. and and if uh tim is excellent yeah, honestly i don't know if you're gonna have by the time this goes live enough space um my but schedule if, is yeah. generally i have other game masters who when my schedule is full i hand off games to them and stuff so i always try to accommodate yeah. people but uh i'm pretty much booked up until april at this yeah point, yeah so yeah and and if you're out there and you go oh, i'd like to play tim is outside of your budget or he doesn't have space there's a website called start playing and you mm -hmm. can find other game masters there that are absolutely they do great available. work there yeah. absolutely yeah um dude thank you it's been wonderful my pleasure and everybody go watch our show please do it do a better call to action than that dude tell them tell them about our show dude um, fucking good show. All right, that's what I want to hear. Right. Good show. We're all making. Right. You can oh, just really roll right into it. For my money, as a fan of all of these shows out there, I think that we are putting together what might be the best. I think it's the best. Um, I, I'll, okay, fine. Fuck it. You asked for it. I, go watch our show. I think it is the. Certainly, no one has put anywhere near the amount of effort that we have put into it. Uh, just from a simple post production, I mean, yeah, it's it's crazy. We're creating something that, that is really fun to watch, regardless of your experience level with yeah. D and D, and that's very. Tim important. is incredible. Tim is Charlie is a wild man. Story with yeah. his YouTube experience. I'm there, <laughs> and then we have a guy using an incredible. Chair. Donald Trump, Trump impression. It's yeah. wild. <laughs> it's wacky and uh, wild. Yeah, it's. Uh, it's it's I think I've learned a lot and I'm always like shit I could have done that better but it's it's I think excellent mm -hmm. um, and I'm I excited agree. to continue doing it so please check that out we appreciate all you guys and we will see you next week peace absolutely.